I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back. I am here with Lisa J. Smith. Gotta have the J in there, right? Absolutely. 100% the J. We need that J. We need that J. Um, but Lisa J. Smith, um, she considers herself a COVIDpreneur because she started her business in June of 2020, which I think is really interesting because it hasn't been that long. And obviously she's having a lot of success going on podcasts and all the things that she's doing. And um, she's the CEO and founder of Smith Company. And she's been a professional for decades and decades, but then went out to start her own business. So pretty cool. And we want to talk a little about entrepreneurship and gosh, we're going to go many different directions. So we'll just see where it goes. But I'm kind of curious um, about how you think like a fortune 500 company. So tell us a little about like your experience with that and what that means. And we'll, we'll just go from there. Absolutely. Well, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love to talk about all of this stuff, all things sales. Um, you know, uh, what's what I think is fascinating about Fortune 500 companies is that they really do what the rest of us do. They just do it at a much larger scale, right? So I think at the end of the day, if you can combine your, what you do on a daily basis, right? And you know you, what you and your listeners are doing is really in that financial services space, um, understanding that you know, you're helping build wealth for you know, individuals and organizations. I mean, at the end of the day, Fortune 500 companies are doing very, not very many things, but they're doing them really well and at scale. We can kind of dive into some of those ideas. So, and how, how do you, did you study them, these kind of companies? Did you work with these companies? Like, how are you so well-versed? Because I know yeah. nothing about Fortune 500 companies, except that they're on that list of the right, Fortune great. 500. Well, that's a good and question. I don't really remember exactly what that means. I just know that's pretty <laughs> baller stuff. It is, so I did work. So I've had my, uh, talk a little bit about my career journey and, and answering that question. So my, the first 15 years of my career was really spent doing interior architecture for a whole variety of different industries. Many of them were Fortune 500 companies, um, whether it was in the healthcare space or a corporate office space. Um, and then I switched, got my MBA, went into sales and advertising. So then I was working on another different end, working with maybe Fortune 100s, right, as opposed to 500s. And there are themes. I just found throughout my career, there are themes that these- Not just with like the wall color? Right. No, not just with the long color. Absolutely that's, not. That's or all I got for interior yeah. design. That's all I got. <laughs> no, there are themes that they all use. Like they, they're, they're very strategic, right? They have to be because they're big. But I think some of us don't spend enough time thinking about how strategy impacts our daily life, even if you're running your own organization like I am. Um, and I think they, um, they're really good at process. They have to be again because they've scaled. They they have hundreds of people that they're you know they're working with. Like for example, I worked with Target, so for quite a long time. You know that you have to have processes and procedures if you're going to have ten thousand employees, right? Um, and they know how to leverage technology. 
they're really good at leveraging automation and technology. Not because they can, because they have the budget to do that. They do that because it helps them achieve their end goal. Um, and I, interestingly enough, in the latter half of my, you know, advertising sales marketing career before I started Smithco, you know, they really understand the good ones, the right ones who are partnered with the right individuals. They know how to tell stories. They know how to use stories to leverage their messaging. You know, and these are all things I feel like we can and experiment with some of those stories and content. We can adopt those ideas and take them into our daily use for what we do every day. Okay, so let's break some of this stuff down because and, and like show these ladies or the token men that might be listening here. Uh, how can they use this? How can they do this themselves? Because um, you said, if I can remember, you said process. I was going to write it down, but I was late to the page here. Processes. You said technology. I think I do remember technology, and then you said storytelling for their messaging, right? Yep, and so strategy. We, yep. Strategy, strategy. Process. Okay. Technology. Storytelling. And then and a little experimentation. Absolutely. And experimentation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that now we just created a five-step system or you did and you already have it, but it seems like five steps. Okay. So, so let's start with strategy then. So you're saying strategy is number one. So what did you find that the fortune 500 companies are, are doing specifically when it comes to strategy that might be different than a solopreneur or um, someone who owns their own firm, but only has, you know, maybe a, a couple support staff or employees. Yeah. Sure. Here's the key that I have found through uh, all of my experience as a professional consultant. Strategy is about saying no. Strategy is about being so laser focused on who your core is or what your core, either what your core services are or your core target, that, that even though it feels scary because it means you think that you're going to alienate hundreds of thousands of potentials of opportunities, you're not, it's the reverse. By, by, by saying no, by really understanding that I'm gonna swim in this lane, I'm gonna to talk to these people, I'm gonna be, you talk about that in your five-step process, right? I'm gonna look at these ideal targets and when I define them, I know how to find them, look, look at them, talk to them, that's strategy. It's about being super laser focused. And I think that, you know, every tendency, especially as a solopreneur or someone who's just starting out or just starting to manage a portfolio, right, or building their business, um, I think the key is, is like, if I, if I do that, if I don't spend time talking to every opportunity, I'm not going to be successful. And it's really scary. But you have to be laser focused at what you want. And it actually is much more efficient. You know this. This is part of your, uh, you know, I'm preaching, pre preaching to the choir here, Robin. Yeah, well, I love it because I, I totally agree with you. And it's easier. So we don't have to argue here and fight. Uh, <laughs> so, so how did you do this? Like, so when you, you started your business in 2020, and can you think of a time where you had to say no when you thought, man, I want to say yes to everything? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, this happens a lot. I have a money type I call delusional Dan. And there are a lot of women who come to me who are, are, are in this kind of uh, money type as delusional Dan, and they want to do everything. They want to say yes to everything. And so right. they're, uh, right. the biggest advice I give them is focus. And I love that they're delusional Dan's. I have my second money type is delusional Dan. So I think very big. I think anything is possible. I need that compelling future, that big drive to like want to grow and want to have huge, humongous goals and to reach them and have this, this big vision. But um, if you're not focused, then there's no way you can get there. And a lot of the women that I work with, when they first come to me, it's like, there's so many opportunities. They can't say no, just like yeah. you said, like they want to say yes to everything. Right. But I find it like, it is difficult sometimes, like, cause you just, you want to say yes. So can, did that happen to you at yes. all in your career where you were just yeah. like, 
I said no, and then it actually worked out. Yeah, many times, many times, although in different, you know, computations, different ways. So what was fascinating to me when I started my own business, having, cons- you know, um, especially in advertising, we always talked about pick a core target market and go for that, right? Um, when I started my own business, what ended up happening was I didn't really know who I was targeting because I was really like, I'm going to hang a shingle. I know I can do this as an entrepreneur, but I have no idea what people will buy. And it's COVID. So everything is, all the rules are changed, right? So now what do I do? So I was really testing a bunch of things. And I had worked with a company because I had worked in a lot of healthcare. I had worked with a company probably for almost five years to get an opportunity to work with them. And they finally came to me. And by the time they came to me, I had pivoted and realized I didn't want to be in that space. And so after working and like as a for consultant years, for, for yes. a corporation, you're saying, yeah, well, well, for a small consulting company that then okay. consulted to the bigs in healthcare. So let me um, make sure I got that right. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to make sure I understand. So you're saying you had this desire to work with this company yes. and then you decided to start your own company. And then it got to a point where finally they wanted you and you're like, sorry, yeah. bitches, peace I out. Said, I'm I, did, I said, no, I said, I absolutely can't help you with any of that. I've gone in another direction. I can give you a referral. So sorry. And I hung up the phone and I, I literally had a panic attack. I was like, what did I just do? But I knew that I had pivoted my services away from what they wanted because it wasn't specific to sales, which is what I do. I live and breathe sales every day, all day long. And they, um, and I think they were shocked because I had done all this work, grooming them, prepping them, priming them, right? And then I'm like, nope, this is not the time. Um, and then I pivoted my core target. I didn't have a core target market. So I had to, I have to, I really believe in, I have to follow this, the advice I give all my clients. I need to walk in their shoes. If I don't, I'm being inauthentic. So then I hired a coach and we, and we found out inadvertently, little did I know, my core target market are women. They're female leaders. They're female entrepreneurs. They, they look like me. They're BIPOC leaders. They look like me because not because I am a woman. That's not why. I, no, because we're better aligned. There are so many things that I can do to help women be successful, grow their success and wealth. And so it just made sense. And so, yeah, I, it was scary. It was so terrifying. I literally had a panic attack and I'm like, you have to believe in the core of your being if you're doing the right thing that you've got to follow the path. And it absolutely worked out, right? But you have to have faith, trust. You talk about all of this, Robin. Sounds like you listen to my podcast. Girl. I do. I'm like, this I'm is awesome. Fan. I'm like, I'm so, I'm so appreciative of that. I'm like, I think a lot of people come on and they're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> they never say that. No, 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 no. But that's very nice. That's very nice. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think we're in a lot of alignment and obviously, you know, I've been working with women for the last, last seven years, but it's interesting you, you bring that up because, um, you know, recently I had this little identity crisis um, because, and I mentioned this maybe on some podcasts, but um, back in February, I went to uh, one of my mastermind events that I'm in. It's called flight club, um, not fight club, but flight club. And, uh, it's a great, phenomenal group. And for years, years, people have been telling me like, why don't you work with men? Cause they say, what do you do? And I'm like, I help female financial professionals grow their businesses. And I'm yeah. coaching programs and whatnot. And they're like, why don't you work with men? And I'm like, cause I don't want to. <laughs> and because yeah. like, I'm, you know, I'm really good at helping women. Yeah. And then the truth is like it got, we, we've been marketing so much on Facebook that it got to a point like um, l- the end of last year and the beginning of this quarter mm-hmm. where it's like, it wasn't working. And everybody says Facebook has gotten more difficult. And people say that Facebook was like, 
like so easy, like four or five years ago when people just like put an ad up and they'd like get a 10, 10, it's called ROAS, like return on your ad spend, you know? And, um, and I never got that great results, but we always had a profit. And so then it got, you know, recently got harder and harder to like find my people on Facebook. And so I was at this conference and had this conversation and I was talking to actually many, many women too. And one of my really good friends, Julia, I should bring on this podcast. She's amazing. Um, but she was like, why do you have to target the gender? Like, how about just the attribute? Oh, you know? this has come up in my business. Yes. And so it was the first time though, believe it or not, that I was like, okay, like I could maybe work with this because, you know, at a certain stage, especially when you're trying to scale, like, well, you, if you say you work with women, that's a lot more, that's way bigger audience, you know, even women entrepreneurs than female financial professionals. Right. And so I was like, well, still saying financial professionals is still a very tight niche. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to be working with old boys club guys. I don't want to be working with the ones that, you know, are talking down to people that my, my women would feel so small near, but they're like a lot of really cool dudes in this industry. And so for the first time, and I think there's also like, you know, this whole gender thing is also getting very blurred as well. And I never want anyone to feel like, you know, I'm sorry, you're not a woman. You know, I did have one guy um, come up to me. He listened or not come up to me like in person, but virtually sent me an email and he said, I listened to your podcast. I'm not a woman, but I'm gay. Is that close enough? And so I was like, yeah, like, I'm not going to say no to you, you know, and I didn't right. mean to ostracize because of your gender. It's just, that's who I've been helping. So I had like, I had this conversation like year for years, my husband's been saying this for years, whatever. And this is the first time I finally was like open to it. And we haven't really started a ton of targeting to men, but I just did a keynote on Wednesday to men and women. And we had 20 people join and uh, the program that I offered. Um, it's like a session and, and some other things, but yeah. 11 of the 20 were men. And I was like, okay, here it comes baby. Cause it's like, I'm yeah. still targeted. I'm not, I'm not veering, but like right. for a long time, I had my, 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 my flag planted women yeah. only women only. And I, yeah. you know, so I think there's, I definitely am not saying I don't agree with you. I'm saying I agree with you. Yeah. It's just, there's an umbrella, right? So there like is an umbrella. There is, is. I could have gone women and then I could have different like verticals of women, women sure. attorneys, women professionals, women, whatever. Sure. I chose, I'm going to like start opening up because I'm doing a lot of keynotes now and open it up to, doesn't matter the gender, but it's really the, the industry, right? Yeah, and the process and the thinking. So he, this is fascinating. I love this. Here is the thing for me, I totally relate to that. Initially, when I launched, I didn't want to embrace the fact that I was a female entrepreneur. I felt like it it shouldn't matter. People are going to know who I am when they meet me. That doesn't matter. But when it comes to money, Robin, this is my insight. This was my personal aha moment. I ran my business so differently than a man would run his. Because it does come down to gender. Gender, unfortunately, societally, and money and the idea of how you manage money, make money, your uh, philosophies about money, the decisions that you do, how risky are you with your money? Women are, we have some built-in things societally, and I can't speak globally, I want to speak to the United States, that I think impact us when we are then going out and leading and driving sales that are different than men. It's not bad, good, or indifferent. It's just different. And I think um, there's an incredible Uh, A woman that I love talking to, her name is Karen Holland, and she's out of uh, Canada, and she was an economist for years, and now she runs a nonprofit called Gifting Sense, and she and I were talking about this, and I asked her, I said, you know, I really feel like, you know, women have a different um, attitude toward money, and she said, like you, I would challenge you about the gender, maybe it's not really about women, maybe it's about how 
how we have been taught to, to think about money, right? It's, it's other things. But I think for me in my business, my purpose is to see other women entrepreneurs be successful. I want to raise the female BIPOC boat. So if I want to do that, I have to target them. And I think you may have started now, maybe you're, you're growing, right? Within your messaging and are changing. I mm-hmm. think you want to see more female financial leaders, right? Absolutely. So when you want to see more of them, you have to target them in order to create them. Well, even at this keynote, I was actually talking to the audience and I said, you know, our whole mission has been to increase the footprint of women in the industry. And I actually think that we need men on board with that. And if 80%, somewhere between, you know, 80%, maybe even, yeah, it depends on the the stats. Sometimes I guess it's 75% men are in the industry. They want one, they want more women, maybe as partners, advisors, like to, to work with. And then we all know that the transfer of wealth is going to women and women are underserved. Like the reason I want more women in the industry is because I think women, just like you're saying, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to their money, like they're underserved and we are in a patriarch society. We are in a way that we were taught to not be as, you know, as savvy with our money. And there's all these things women are underserved. And so my philosophy, the reason I, the only reason I could get behind it, cause I don't want just like to help the, the old white dudes just like be more successful without bringing women along. Right. But I have a lot of women who tell me stories about one of their mentors and he, you know, helped her to be more successful and all this. Sure. So I'm, I'm thinking like where I'm at right now and, and we'll see, this is also part of the test is that like, if I can, you know, the women, how can we serve more women when it comes to wealth? Well, we need like the men in the industry to stop talking down to the women. We need the men to actually look at the women, not just talk to the the man of the house, you know, like when, sure. when the woman might be the breadwinner or not, you know? And so I think the whole industry actually has to change. And so it's morphing for me. And I don't even know like where, where it's going, but I know for to back up what you're saying, and I want to make sure this is really clear because now I got into the philosophy of what I believe in my company and my mission, <laughs> but uh, it all morphs into something, evolves into something. But what I would say is like, what I teach to, and, and as you probably know, is like this idea of cloning, this idea of like, who's the person that you want to attract. Yep. And I like to make it really simple. It's like, and again, I just did this in the keynote. We talk about this thing I call the rule of 10. And the idea is that you're on this quest, just get 10 clients. It's really yes. one client, 10 times. And who's Correct. that one person. And on that, on the path, like I still might say my clone is like a woman who, you know, she's making a hundred to $300,000 a year. She wants to get to half a million, then a million a year. And she's in the financial industry and all this, sure. but on the path to that, I can go do keynotes and work with men. Like I don't have to say, no, I can't work with you, but exactly. I, my message talks to that woman, woman, yes. my brand talks to that woman. It doesn't mean you always have to say woman or women, but the fact is that I'm clear about who I want to attract and the messaging has to stand behind that. And the the big takeaway, Lisa, I think, you know, that you're saying, I want to make sure I'm not confusing the audience with the shifts that I'm making is that it doesn't have to be by gender. It could be by a different, you know, umbrella. Like it's like by, um, by industry, it could be that you help serve attorneys. Does it matter what their gender? It could be that you help, um, you know, nurses. Does that mean you're not going to work with any men because there are men nurses? So it doesn't have to be gender, but it does have to be specific. Otherwise you're talking to nobody when you think when you're trying to talk to everybody. Yes. A hundred percent. And, and the irony is by doing that, by focusing in on some key core value trait, uh, characteristic, um, in order to talk to those individuals. And if you're selling something, even if it's financial services, right, that has a tangible, you're trying to alleviate some kind of pain, okay? You're trying to create more gains and alleviate pain. And so by doing that, if you can um, 
talk to those individuals. That doesn't mean you're not going to be talking to other people who also share in that. They just, to your point, they may not qualify in whatever characteristic that you're, you know, whether it is an industry, whether it is a gender, whether it is a, you know, a type of service, B2B versus B2C. So I totally 100% agree. That's strategy. And then you end up attracting more because yeah. you're very specific about the messaging that you're, that you're using. But the, the attracting more, like you just said, is because you actually start becoming, you're seen and perceived as the expert when you exactly. start working with a specific person. Yes. Um, it's so, it happens so often. People are so afraid to pigeonhole themselves and, oh gosh, I'm going to, you said at the beginning, like people don't want to do this because they're afraid that they're going to, you know, not, they want to work with everybody. They want to have that option. But what happens is they say everybody and then everybody else thinks that they're not credible because of it. So yes. that's, part of, that's part of the strategy. Okay. So you said strategy. There's a lot to, to unpack here, but we probably got to see our, mo- our, our most in-depth part. Um, yes. You said processes or processes. So what, what is like the number one thing that you saw as far as like creating process or following a process that is a big takeaway from the fortune 500 companies? Okay. So here's the deal. And it sounds so unbelievably simple. And I'm sure this happens to you every day when you talk uh, to, to people and you're, and you're building your content, you have to write it down. You just have to codify something. You have to say, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to write it down and I'm going to write the steps down and I'm going to follow those steps and be consistent. And then when it doesn't work, I'm going to change it. We run so fast. We feel like we have to change and pivot and adapt so fast that we do not take the time, again, myself included, to codify, like put the process in place. And then they, again, because Fortune 500 have scale, they have to write it down. They have to tell tens of thousands of people how they're going to do something or what their expectations are. But then they follow, so this goes hand in hand, process and then tools and, and automation. Then they, they follow that up and pair tools that support their process that make them more efficient. You cannot figure out what you have to use, what platforms you need, what software, what apps, what AI, what Intel, until you know what process you want, right? So you're defining both the inputs and the outputs at the same time. But we spend so little time writing it down or documenting it in some way. It could be a napkin, a cocktail napkin on a piece of it. It doesn't matter how you start. You have to start someplace by writing down and, and defining it, and then you can expand and add on to it. That's awesome. I was just thinking about one of my clients, Leah, and she was, I remember she came on coaching call and she was like, so I need help with this. And she basically said like, I don't have time because she's working with this other like senior advisor and he wanted to have her on these calls. And what she was doing on these calls is like, she was just being on these calls like for an hour, hour and a half with the client to essentially document what he was saying and doing so that at the end that she could tell them what to do. Like, you know, here the, here's like the summary basically like in an email and the one, two, three, as far as what to do next. Right. I was like, oh my God, girl, like, okay, just record it. <laughs> record the call. And they're doing these on Zoom now, right? So I'm like, record the Zoom, yeah. get it up on Otter, some transcription service. Right. Then you can review. I wouldn't even have you review it. I'd have someone else review it. Right. You know, have them at the end do five minutes of a, of a summary. So like right. he records it for an hour and a half and then he stops the recording and starts a new recording and says, here's what we talked about. And he'll go, boom, 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 boom. I should really do this for podcasts for my for my gal. So I'm I'm all talk and I don't always do it, but it's like, <laughs> 
here, here's what we talked about. Right. Yeah. And here are the three things they need to do. Right. And in five minutes now she can have that on order. And then she sends them an email and it's yeah. right there. And if she wants to review the recording, she can, but it's like, exactly. and she's like, Oh my God. And then she's like, and then I can get someone else to do it. I'm like, yes. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? Like, why would you be doing that anyway? Get an admin to do that. Exactly. And so what does that translate to what you, for me, how I interpreted that amazing, by the way, what that translates to for me is now you spend the time on the things that really bring you money. Yeah, that, that now you're now you spend the time on driving content or doing things that are of value, as opposed to doing things that are not driving value. Do you have to do that? Sure, that's part of deliverable and relationship building, right? And so you can now they can use tools to supplement all that. But um, if you don't think of your and sometimes I think we get so caught up in the tasks. It's the whole, are you working in your business or on your business, right? Mm -hmm. That we get so caught up in the tasks that we value our time in the task and taking it off of the to-do list. And when, like, as when I became a solopreneur, I'm like, I can't spend my time on any of that stuff. That's not driving any of my revenue. So I think that's genius, Robin. I love that. I love that example. Well, also it's like, everyone says they don't have time. Like no one has time. And I, I, I think, I, I don't know who said it, but maybe it's Tony Robbins. I listen to him sometimes, but it's like, you know, we all have the same amount of time. Like the only thing that is equal on this planet, the only thing is the amount of time we all have. Yes. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. Like that is it. It's like not our, our upbringing is not in, equal. Our bodies aren't equal. Our looks aren't equal. Like nothing else is equal except the amount of time that we have. Mm -hmm. And so I like to think of it as an exchange of time. So it's like, you know, typically the technical term that I use is you're doing stupid shit like stop doing the stupid <laughs> shit and instead exchange that time for do, doing you know some smart shit um but and and what you just said is like things that are making money i call those money making activities like i like to exchange like the word marketing or prospecting for money making activities because yes. there's so much stuff that you're doing that's like not making you money and that's taking so much time and then we got to take a look and and actually evaluate that and say okay these things i'm doing and how much is actually like making me money i have something called the seven step marketing plan if i can think of the the uh, url i'll give it to you guys in a second or we'll put in the show notes but the seven step marketing plan. The whole purpose of this is to go through and see what are you currently doing when it comes to your marketing? What's yeah. actually getting you the client? So you, you take a look at like, who are the last clients you got the, the like, especially the eight clients that you got in the last 12 months, where did they come from? Yep. How do you get them? You know, oh, networking. Okay. I guess you can do networking from, from 1985. Well, maybe you don't want to wait that long. You know? So it's like, we really notice like, where did they come from? And then yeah. it's like, now I'm going to put my attention and time and effort and energy on doing those marketing activities for really money-making activities. And then you realize you've been spending all this time marketing quote unquote, but that didn't make, get you any new clients or the clients you got sucked balls. Um, and, and so instead you're like, okay, these are the ones I got to do. So it's just really evaluating what you're doing so that you spend time on the right things and then exchange the time and then do the right things. Well, we're good 100%. together, Lisa. We're we are great together. I love we're it. Awesome. Here's, the, here's the other thing about documenting the process. When you start documenting in that example, Robin, what I love about that is now you have data, which you can leverage to create insights which then you put to work for your business. This is working. This isn't working. Stop doing that, right? Start doing this. But again, we don't spend enough time thinking about it. We're surrounded by data. So in a way we're too inundated with it, but we're not, we're not even tracking the stuff that 
is going to be most impactful to our day-to-day lives. And here's the con of Fortune 500. They have all these bloated, you know, layers of bureaucracy and policies and procedures and way things do. And so if you've been in corporate America, like I have, and you inherit that stuff, or you're in corporate America now and you're trying to be successful, despite all of that, you, you have to shove off all the like bureaucracy and, 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 and all those bad habits and say, focus to your point on the things that are going to make you, you money and track the things that you, then you can say, I'm just going to start doing that and stop doing that because it's not making me money. So they got, mm-hmm. kind of go hand in hand, process and data measurement. I I never was in corporate. So like, I don't get it, but um, for you. Good yeah, for you. I know it's crazy because I can't even imagine like my personality, like as someone I, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, well, 16, I, I actually even before that, but I decided to be a lifeguard because I was working at um, this Jewish camp and I got paid $250 for the whole summer. And I was like, this sucks. Like I, yeah. maybe it wasn't the whole summer, but it was like three or four weeks or something like that. And even at the time when I was 16 years old, I thought like that, I should get paid more than that. Yeah, I really, a little undervalued there. Yeah. yeah. A little undervalued. Right. And so then I heard that the lifeguard who was there, who was also teaching swimming lessons, got $750 for the Hey-o. summer. So it's like, okay, hook it up. So the next year, like I got my certification or whatever to teach swimming. And then it was like half the summer that I did that. So I made my 750 in the first three to four weeks. And then I went and I looked for a job. And the first I went to, um, you know, to like a, a typical swim club and they're like, okay, it's $15. It was something like $15, maybe $20 an hour. I don't know. It was more than like the norm, but at 16 years old, it might've been more than like, I could have gotten eight to $10 an hour, but instead it was like maybe a little bit more than that. But I was like, but I know they're charging like $25 a lesson. So like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. And so again, my entrepreneurial spirit, I'm like, screw that. Like, I want to, I want to make the money. So I started going to people's homes and like, oh. I would drive there and my very first, I would do like $8, $8 for a lesson, but it was for a half an hour lesson. So there right. I am making like $16 an hour. So whatever the numbers were. And then it was like, later I started to charge $25 a half an hour. So I was like, by, by 17, 18 years old, I was making like 50 bucks an hour. And I got really smart. My parents had a pool. So then I, I had them come to me and I was like, yeah. And I was like, I mean, my, and my mom was a preschool, pre-kindergarten teacher. And so she was my pimp. I mean, she was my marketer. Oh my God, legion all day long. <laughs> so was like total legion. Yeah. So my mom was like, just telling people, oh, my daughter teaches swimming lessons. They'd all come to me. I mean, it was like eight in the morning till five o'clock and I was making 50 bucks an hour. Like I'd make wow. $10,000 in the summer at like 17, 18 years old. And I, I was rolling and I ended up traveling around the world. So like, it was freaking awesome. Why did I bring that up? I forget, but, um, because you were trying to talk about not having to be in corporate. Oh yeah. So, not being yes. corporate. So yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You will be my uh, conscious mind. So, so <laughs> basically I was like, damn, like, I can't even imagine going to corporate where they're going to just, they feel, it's feel like they're just going to make money off of me. Like I'd rather make yeah. money off myself. So I had that yeah. intuition anyway, good or bad. Cause I was broke for a while, but, uh, eventually hey, entrepreneurs, are entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs ha- you have to start at the bottom, baby. Nobody's yeah. at the top. Yeah, absolutely. The top. Okay. So I know we only have a, a little bit more time, but, um, I want to, cause you made it such a system. Everybody's going to be wondering what the heck, like they need, need the, the, the end of it, but you said story and messaging. And I always yes. talk about messaging is like not even taught in the industry because it's like, they don't know that word, but, right. but give a little on that. And then step five, you said experiment, right? Yeah. So, okay. So here's an example of something that I'm learning at, at myself. I think when people are really good at what they do, they forget what's like when they didn't know about True. what they do that are really good. Right. So I spend so much time in the theory and the practice of sales and all of the, is it pricing and the strategy and all these things. Sometimes with my clients, I, 
time, uh, I got some really great feedback uh, with a, uh, a young entrepreneur recently who has a SaaS product. He's like, Lisa, the theory is great, but you need to give me stuff that I understand that I can do. And I'm like, whoa, you blew my mind, right? So I gave a talk recently to um, a membership community in, in advertising, and I used a, a, an analogy. I'm like, this should be, you know, so I, I was like, this is a, a novel idea. Let me use an analogy. So I used, I started using analogies and stories to illustrate my ideas. And for me, it, I felt like I was taking a step back. But in, in essence, I know I'm not. I'm bringing everyone along with me, right? Because I, I might be far, further along because I'm spending all this time in this one specific space. So I think... I think stories are about emotion. We all know this. Stories are about characters and archetypes, you know, the hero and the and the and the rebel, right? And they're all of these things. And so when we start to think about messaging, even though a financing can feel dry, right? But we're talking with humans who need stories in order for us to relate to each other. And so when I think the great Fortune 500, like I think of everyone's gonna know this, when you use emotion and storytelling. When Johnson & Johnson started doing advertising about the moms of um, the Olympic athletes, that, I mean, I could literally, I'm not going to start crying like right now. Like that got me, right? They're telling a story about, oh, get a clip, about how, what it means, the sacrifice. I think when we think less about the data and less about coming off as trying to be the expert and more about trying to relate to our clients as humans and tell stories to explain things, and then... Trial and error. Did that work or this work? Let me post this on social. Let me try TikTok. Let me try YouTube. Don't be afraid just because some of the technology, I know TikTok's owned by China. We're having some issues right now. Don't be afraid to experiment. I think sometimes we're like, set it, forget it. I figured it out. I spent a lot of money on this. This is the, the, what my agency wants me to do. No, it's all trial and error. That's how we know it's working and not working. So I think they're willing to, and they can, again, because of scale, test stories, understand what stories are going to resonate because they have that core market, right? They or laser like a focus and that strategy and they and then and then you find out what's working and what's not working and then you know like you're still too theory lisa you're still too far far up top you need to bring it you know back down and you need to come all the way to the bottom so um that's what i mean by by that um and i think that it then you can have fun some of this stuff is actually fun absolutely we should write a book called stories sell numbers are hell yeah, done. You and I, let's go. <laughs> I, I was trying to remember there is something about like story sell and then something else and I couldn't remember. So I just decided to make that part up. And, and, but I do think it's true. Like, um, the, especially women are very nurturing and, and loving and really care about their clients and not that men don't, but it's just like, we're naturally like that. Was, it's a different that's, approach. Yeah. That's what we're drawn to is like really serving people and transforming their lives. And yes. And then they, they get into the numbers and shit and like all the things that are like in their heads and they stop connecting and then there's the connection fades. And even okay. with this keynote, like, um, I mean, I've been talking about this now because I was like in keynote hell for like two weeks of like just every, every ounce of energy I had was towards this keynote. What was like what the parts that were, I spent, I mean, endless hours on mm -hmm. endless hours were the stories. Yeah tightening up my stories yeah. like that's and and you know that the analogies the the like the con, like connecting i was like going back and forth about my my original story that i was going to tell at the beginning and that set the set the stage and i did it probably five times with different stories not yeah. all different but like five times testing these stories and i'm like no that's not it that's not it and finally i found the right story it was a very emotional story and then like that got me like that totally set the right stage for the keynote and it builds trust and it yes. allows people to to connect and see that you're not perfect and 
um, that, I mean, and then the jokes, the jokes were tough too, but the yes, jokes yeah. are, are important too. But I mean, yes, that's, that's, humor, that's a little bit of entertainment, emotions. but yes, but I do, I do that. think it's, it's humanizing everything. And I think when you start to be a, the robot that like, you know, nobody wants a robot advisor, that's something. Okay. Some people want the robot advisor. It's called a robo advisor because they don't want it because they're cheap as shit and they don't want to pay you, but you <laughs> don't want those people. So don't be a robo. Don't be a robot. Um, that's so right. We'll end with that. Tell them where to find you and, you know, write that down. Don't be a robot. Don't be a robo. No, absolutely. So That'll you can be in my next presentation. If you want to chat with me, uh, you can find me at smithco, uh, US. Oh my goodness. Smithcous.com. That's my website. You can, uh, Smithco sales. You can follow me on Insta. Find me on LinkedIn, Smithco sales. That's, that's Smithco sales. And that's I said, right. earlier, so I'm glad you corrected that. Awesome. Well, you've been amazing. And thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Oh, actually, before you go, I want to just remind you because we have, um, obviously a slew of episodes. And if you're just coming on, or maybe you've only heard a few, um, I will we'll point your attention to a really good one. Um, episode 115, the power of speaking to build authority with Cheryl Wood. Um, I was thinking about her just because we were talking about the keynote and she's one of my friends who I met at a Lisa Nichols event. And um, she's a phenomenal keynoter and just so, so powerful and such a wonderful, like huge heart, wonderful woman. And so check that out. If you haven't seen that, that came out um, on March 29th. So go back and get in, get into the podcast so that you can get more out of this and we can give you continue to give you amazing free content and help you change your life and change your business. Thanks again. We'll see you next time on growing your financial business, the woman's way. Bye-bye now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.